Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church podcast. We hope this is a blessing to you. Let's jump into the sermon. It's a, a little known uh, fact and a verse in the Bible even, I think it's Habakkuk 11.2, um, that says, those who come to church and are awake on the Sunday after Thanksgiving uh, receive all of the Jesus points. I think that's what it <laughs> says. You can go look it up later and see for yourself. But you're here. You have woken from your turkey-induced comas. You have made it through sometimes wonderful time with family, sometimes time with family. <laughs> and here we are on the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is this season in the church year that we set aside this time that's meant to prepare us for Christmas. We want to take a minute, slow things down a little bit, get ready for what is to come. And so we light candles. We listen to familiar scripture. We ponder the meaning of God's incarnation at Bethlehem. And best of all, we sing some really great songs. In our family, we've got a, a, a collection of movies that we watch every year at Christmas, Elf being one of them, and I think Buddy the Elf said it perfectly. Let's listen to him. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Right? The best way to spread Christmas cheer, it's singing loud for all to hear. We love to sing at Christmas. So just to wake us up a little more, make sure we're all ready for it, I want to uh, just for a second, I'm going to ask you to, for a little crowd participation, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody near you next to you, just in front or behind or whatever, beside somebody next to you and just share with them, what is your favorite song related to Christmas? It doesn't have to be a church song, it could just be any song related to Christmas. Find somebody near you and tell them what's your favorite song. My husband didn't know before this last service uh, that I was going to tell on him, uh, and he's going to have to speak up and defend himself next Sunday, which he can do, uh, when I will share with you his uh, favorite song for a long time. I don't know if it still is. It may be. Uh, his favorite Christmas song was Feliz Navidad by Jose Feliciano. If you know this one, it, it, you've heard it. You've heard it a few times, and if you've heard it once, you've heard it enough. Um, but... In his family, growing up, he and his sister had a tradition where driving home from Christmas Eve worship, just imagine it, you've just had you know, the, the service, the songs, the scripture, you, you know, silent night holding your candle, and then they would get in the car, and he and his sister would insist that they turn on probably a tape at the time of Feliz Navidad, crank, what? It was acapella. It was acapella. Oh, wow. Okay, so even better? That he and his sister would sing, apparently, at the top of their lungs, Feliz Navidad, over and over and over again until they made it home and everyone could get out of the car. So, um, you know, if our children continue that tradition, I may need a family, I'll let you know. It's interesting, though, there's no other holiday, really, that inspires near the same amount of music as Christmas. 
right? You can think about it like Halloween has like Monster Mash. I know Kelly Nettleton has a whole playlist for Halloween, but still, I, I, I think Chris, Christmas still wins. You know, Easter, we've got the hymns and Peter Cottontail. I don't know. Like, Christmas stands uniquely in that it just makes the heart want to sing. The songs we sing at Christmas, they're not only beautiful, they're powerful. And so this Advent and Christmas season, we wanted to take some time to focus on, to learn from these very special songs. Each week, we're going to take a different Christmas carol. We'll look at its history and consider its meaning in light of Scripture. And of course, we will sing that carol as well as many others, though I'm going to put the kibosh on Feliz Navidad. This morning, we start with one of my favorites. It's an Advent hymn called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's in uh, your blue hymnal. If you want to look at the words as we talk through them, it's uh, number nine in that blue hymnal in your pew. It also comes from Scripture, if you want to look there as well. The the words that this uh, title of this carol comes from are found in Matthew chapter 1 starting at verse 18. Matthew tells us, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is thought to be the oldest Christmas song that is still being sung. The author is an unnamed monk or priest who penned the original words sometime before 800 AD. He would have been a scholar with rich knowledge of both the Old and New Testaments as the amount of scripture that this hymn draws from. In its original form, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was a series of seven verses known as the Great Antiphons. An antiphon is a a prayer or or a verse that's sung responsively back and forth. And these seven antiphons were sung in daily worship, the seven days leading up to Christmas, one antiphon each day. And the antiphons, they each began with the word O and then were followed by a biblical title for the Messiah. And they went like this. O wisdom from the Most High, from the mouth of the Most High, come and teach us the way of salvation. O Lord and ruler of the house of Israel, come with outstretched arm to save us. O root of Jesse, rising as a sign for all the peoples, come quickly and deliver us. O key of David and scepter over the house of Israel, come to set the prisoners free. O day spring from on high, come shine on those who sit in darkness. O ruler of the nations and their desired one, come and save us all. O Emmanuel, our king and lawgiver, come and save us, O Lord, our God. 
Sometime in the 12th or 13th century AD, another unnamed poet rearranged the antiphons so that the last one about Emmanuel came first, and then he is the one who added the refrain that we sing, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The song was picked up by a number of churches across Europe at the time and was an important part of their Advent worship, which is significant because this was during the Dark Ages. Very, very few people could read, and even fewer had access to the Bible. So in singing these songs, people learned seven verses worth of information about who the Messiah was and what he came to do. This song brought the story of Christ, the Savior, to life to those who were living in centuries of ignorance and darkness. But it didn't stop there. The form we sing it in now is different from the original, and it comes to us via an Anglican priest named John Mason Neal. Born in 1818 and educated at Cambridge, Neal was a brilliant biblical scholar, and he could speak more than 20 languages. However, the church leaders at the time found him to be too they said evangelical for their liking. So it was their responsibility to appoint priests to various locations. So instead of giving Neil a desirable location such as London, they sent him about as far away as they could, the northern coast of Africa to the Madeira Islands. Guess they really didn't like him. While he was there, however, Neil threw himself into serving the poorest of the poor. Using his own meager salary, he founded an orphanage, a school for girls, and a house of refuge for women who had been forced into prostitution. All at the same time, he continued his study of the scriptures and every biblical-based material he could get his hands on, and somewhere, somehow, he came across the Latin chant, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And captivated by its text, Neil set himself to translating the Latin words into English. The melody he paired it with is called Veni Emmanuel, and it's also an ancient song. It's based on one of the earliest known forms of sacred music, the chant or the plain song. Neil's version of this carol was published in England in the 1850s, and within 25 years, it became one of the best known songs of the season across Europe and America. And now, today, in the version that we sing, if you look at the kind of top left corner of the page in the hymnal, you'll see that the first two verses that we sing are from Neil's original translation. The final verse is a translation written in 1916 by a man named Henry Sloan Coffin, who was at the time the pastor of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. So that's the history. That's where this song comes from, The question we want to turn to now is, so what? What does all this mean to us? What do we notice about this song? What do we take away from it? And the first thing I notice when I look at this song is that what stands out to me is that it's a prayer. It's a prayer. So many of our Christmas songs are declarative, right? They are joyful announcements of something that has happened. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Go tell it on a mountain, Jesus Christ is born. 
Okamo Kemi Manual has an element of that declaration of something that has happened, but even more so, it's an expression of longing for something to happen. And that longing is directed to the Lord. It is a prayer, a beautiful, haunting, and very real Advent prayer. See, Advent, it's always been a season of longing. Advent literally means something or someone is coming to us. The first Advent took place over 2,000 years ago when God came to us in the birth of Jesus Christ. That first Advent can, can be thought of God's D-Day, God's invasion into human history. There at a beachhead in Bethlehem, God entered planet Earth in the form of a fragile baby. This unlikely beginning of God's assault on enemy-held territory is what ultimately led to the cross, where our Lord laid down his life. This was the decisive battle to liberate all men and women held captive by sin and death, which, of course, is what led to the empty tomb of Easter, where the hope of victory was born. That was the first Advent. And there will be a second. If the first Advent can be thought of as God's D-Day, then the second Advent is V-Day, the day when Christ comes in final victory. As Christians, we believe that human history is headed toward a final and decisive conclusion, the second Advent, the coming of, again of our risen Savior to this planet. In the first advent, he came in disguise as a suffering servant of God, unknown, unexpected, unwelcome. In the second advent, he will come as the victorious king, unmistakable in glory and undisputed in power. And he will use that power to wipe away every tear, to eliminate death, to make all things new. He will create a new heaven and a new earth, a shining new earth upon which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is the first advent. There will be the second advent. And we live now in the in-between. Our Lord has come. The liberation of our world has begun, but it's not complete. Our planet is still suffering. Tears still fall. Death still comes for us all. And so in this in-between time, we wait. We long. We hope. We pray. And this hymn gives us beautiful, meaningful words to fill those prayers in the midst of the waiting. The last verse begins, O come, desire of nations. That title for the Messiah comes from the Old Testament prophet Haggai, who spoke of all the peoples of the earth coming to the desire of the nations and God's house being filled with glory. 
you read them, Haggai's words bear striking similarity to those of the prophet Isaiah, who declared that all the nations of the world will come to the house of God and learn his ways. That passage ends with the promise that when the Messiah comes, they will beat their swords into plowshares, and they will turn their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's not insignificant that this is the verse that was translated in 1916, the year when thousands were dying in the trenches in France, and within a matter of months, the United States would enter what would become known as the First World War. That was over a hundred advents ago. And since then, we have seen the Second World War, the Korean War, the Cold War, the Vietnam War, Afghanistan, Iraq, Ukraine, and so many others. So how appropriate, how necessary that we pray these words, O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and discord cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. That's the last verse. It's a prayer for peace. The second verse begins, O come thou dayspring. It's a title for Christ that comes from a passage in Luke, Zechariah's song, also known as the Benedictus, where he says, The day spring from on high will come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The coming Messiah is the day spring, the one who brings light into our darkness, the darkness of fear and depression, the darkness of grief, the darkness of death. It's a funny thing. While we say that the holidays are the most wonderful time of the year, I know that there are many of us for whom that couldn't be further from the truth. A few years ago, I came across an article entitled, Everyone Around You is Grieving. Go easy. I want to read to you what the author wrote. She said, The day my father died, I was at the grocery store buying bananas. I remember thinking to myself, This is insane. Your dad just died. Why in the world are you buying bananas? But we needed bananas. We'd be waking up for breakfast the next morning, and there wouldn't be any bananas, so there I was. And lots of other stuff needed doing too, so over the coming days I would navigate parking lots, wait in restaurant lines, and sit on park benches, pushing back tears, fighting to stay upright, and in general always being seconds away from a total blubbering, room-clearing freakout. I wanted to wear a sign that said, I just lost my dad, please go easy. And while I didn't, want to physically wear my actual circumstances on my chest, it probably would have caused people around me to give me space or speak softer or move more carefully, and it might have made the impossible almost bearable. Everyone around you 
the people you share the grocery store line with, pass in traffic, sit next to at work, encounter on social media, and see across the kitchen table, they're all experiencing the collateral damage of living. They are all grieving someone, missing someone, worried about someone. Their marriages are crumbling, or their mortgage payment is late, or they're waiting on their child's test results, or they're getting bananas five years after a death and still pushing back tears because the loss feels as real as it did on the first day. Every single human you pass by today is fighting to find peace and push back fear to get through their daily tasks without breaking down in front of the bananas or in the carpool line or at the post office. We need to remind ourselves just how hard the hidden stories around us might be and to approach each person as a delicate, breakable, invaluable treasure, treasure and to handle them with care. As you make your way through the world today, people won't be wearing signs to announce their mourning or to alert you to the attrition or to broadcast how terrified they are, but if you look with the right eyes, you'll see the signs. There are grieving people all around you. Go easy. The reality is, even at the most wonderful time of the year, or perhaps especially at this time of year, there is great darkness all around us. There is great darkness within us. So we need all the more to cling to the words from the Gospel of John that tell us why one of the primary reasons Jesus came John tells us the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Parenthetically, if you are in a place today where this is not the most wonderful time of the year for whatever reason, I just want to personally, pastorally invite you to mark your calendar. Come join us for the longest night service of healing and hope. It's on December 20th. I find that in times of grief, though it doesn't get rid of it, sharing that grief with others and with Jesus, it makes it just a little bit easier to bear. Whatever our darkness, Jesus Christ is our dayspring, our unfailing light. And so we sing and so we pray, O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Jesus is the desire of nations. He is the dayspring. But the image that means the most to me, my deepest Advent prayer, is that first one. Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. As we've already heard, it comes from Matthew 1, but also from the prophet Isaiah, from chapter 7, where we read, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let's just sit on that one for a moment. God 
with us. God, the Almighty, the Eternal, the Uncreated One, the Holy One, God, with. Not above, not apart, God with. God with us. God with you, God with me, God with the entire human family, God with us, God beside us in every circumstance, every situation, in our joys and in our sorrows, in our deep gladness and in our desperate pain. God with us, and not only with us, but God, one of us. The good news of Christmas is that God comes in human form to pay the ransom price, freeing us from captivity to sin and death. That is what the angel announced to Joseph, that the child Mary is carrying is none other than God's own son. And the angel says, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the God who comes to save us. And so we sing and so we pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. It's a song we've sung probably hundreds, thousands of times. But I wonder how well those words have made that ever so long journey from our heads to our hearts. I can imagine that all the various authors of this song, from the anonymous monks to the exiled Anglican priest, they would all be pretty surprised, I think, to learn that their song is still being sung today. But learning that, I think what they would want the most is not just for us to join them in singing, but in praying these words from the very depths of our hearts that we would pray together, O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples together in your peace. O come, thou dayspring from on high, dispel the dark shadows of fear and death with your light. O come, Emmanuel, and ransom us from our long captivity to sin. Oh, come to us. Be God with us. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information on how to get connected here at Knox, please visit knoxprez.org.